Who are you? Who are you? The world increasingly wants to weigh you down with that question. Who are you? In all kinds of subtle ways. That question's always there. And it probably started when you were just three or four or something with the version that goes like this. And what do you want to do when you grow up? That's an interesting question to ask a three or four year old when you stop and think about it. Because most of us are still trying to figure out the answer to that form of the question at 30 or 40. But the pressure kept morphing. The question changes and takes different shapes. and, and, And the world keeps pushing with other versions like... Be true to yourself. Whatever you do, just be true to yourself. That version's a bit more passive-aggressive. I mean, it sounds just like a nice affirming thing to say to somebody, but actually it subtly requires you to figure out who you are. And then just be who you really are. I mean, much pressure with that one who I really am. Uh, I reckon in the last couple of years, though, that the question has started getting altogether vicious because now we find ourselves in quite a hostile and merciless social context of cancel culture. Now, if who you really are doesn't happen to be someone that satisfies every possible permutation and combination of what might be socially acceptable or or might one day become uh, socially approved by the masses, then you will be cancelled. You will be cancelled instantly and without any hint of grace in our culture. Take, for example, the sports superstar Israel Folau, who was true to himself. He posted what he believed about Jesus on social media and he was cancelled. Just like that. Or even people from ages ago, actually, who lived in different cultures in their heyday, uh, like Dr. Seuss or Enid Blyton, who wrote some of our favourite kids' books in a time, well, quite a while ago. But today's masses have decided that who those people were at that time wasn't what we now suddenly think they should have been. And so that's it for them again. Gone. No patience or understanding on our part, just cancelled. And so our world is actually heading out of identity uncertainty, which is I think where we've been for a while now, and heading now into identity paralysis, really, because who would be game enough anymore to actually be themselves? Not for much longer at the rate we're going, anyway. Uh, Already, though, our true self has to be very carefully thought out and planned out to accommodate everyone else's expectations. If we continue to let the world control the underlying question in all this, who are you, then the whole world is headed for a complete identity crisis. Anyway, against all that chaos, our passage in 2 Corinthians 5 here shows us something of God's answer on that question of our identity. Paul, the Apostle, lifts us out of a a worldly way of thinking about this question altogether with one short statement in verse 16 there. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Or as the NIV puts it, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. 
that's not to say we're not interested in what people want to be when they grow up and all of that kind of stuff. It's just that all the while our thoughts are functioning at a higher level about ourselves and about others. Our thoughts are uh, thinking at a, at a more important level. We want to know where people are with God and where we ourselves are with God. See, the Christian mind is always thinking about the things above. The things above. A worldly way of thinking can only interpret and understand life by current circumstances or past experiences. You know, things like how much income someone has or doesn't have. They're, they're following on social media, you know, their looks or lack of, their lifestyle, their, their lot in life. But Jesus has shown us that there is a whole new life. Beyond this world, there is a whole new life that we can look forward to. And that perspective is higher and better and, and far more important for us to be thinking about. There is eternal life to be had for everyone who trusts in Jesus. Eternal life. And, and how can that truth not trump all of our other thoughts about who we are in the here and now? Our greatest identity is that we are now and forever in Christ. And we spoke about that concept a couple of weeks ago, but today we get a far more explicit look into the immediate implication of being in Christ. Here in 2 Corinthians 5, we see just how real this, this new identity that we have is right now. The, the new creation that we're, we're hoping in, well, it isn't just off in our future waiting for us in heaven. This new identity that we're waiting for, well, it's already so real and so certain for the Christian that we can already know that it is who we are right now. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We just try to process that. Whoever you thought you were, or are, or want to be, however you understand your identity in, in any other sense of the word, there is already this other sense in which something about you is old now, and it's gone. And something new is here. Anyone who is in Christ... That is to say, everyone uh, who trusts in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour is a new creation. The Apostle Paul is writing this, by the way, as part of a, a long letter. And you might appreciate how hard it was to select how much of the text, or, or rather how little of the text we could we could read and think about today. Because his point here that we're looking at flows much further than what we do have time to look at. So I do encourage you later to read the whole chapter, if you can, to get a better sense of all this, and, and so to re keep reading into the next chapter. And, I mean, if you're up for it, <laughs> read the whole letter. But with this teaching here at this part of the letter that we've we've really just taken a seven-verse sample out of, he, he's defending the way that he and his co-workers go about their life and ministry. And fundamental to that is how they think of people now in terms of their eternal significance. Rather than thinking of people in terms of the worldly things that we instinctively kind of uh, look at, 
I mean, we're wired like that by nature to, to think at that kind of level, to look at the marks of worldly success or status or at the lack of those things. But Paul reminds us that because of what we now know in Christ, we cannot think of people so superficially as that anymore. Because this world is passing away. But those who trust in Christ are swept up into this new creation that's coming. An eternal life. But it's bestowed on believers right now. And a fundamental part of this new creation message is that it resolves our former identity as sinners. That taint and distortion and and corruption that sits over the top of everyone's identity. Sin. But the old us has died with Christ and is now, as far as God is concerned, gone. God no longer sees us according to our sinfulness, it says here. Because as Paul goes on to explain, God has made a way to do away with that awful, sinful part of who we are. In verses 18 and 19, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. So we believe, and so we must proclaim and live our lives by. God reconciled us to himself in Christ. So we are now, in his eyes, New creations. This is the way we must also learn to see things in our eyes. No matter how you see yourself in your eyes, you must now learn to see yourself as God sees you in his eyes. The old you is gone. The new you has come. If you are in Christ, then you are a new creation. Not a remodeled version of the old you. Not an edit or a revision. Not a, not a back on the right track again version of you. As God sees you right now, you are his new creation. You are reconciled to him in Christ. Your sin is not counted against you, not now, and nor will it ever be, because behold, the new you has come. How much does that teaching change your perspective? How much does that comfort you? All that identity pressure that the world quietly puts on you just fizzles away now against this, this one unchanging truth that will be forever. You are God's new creation. Jesus is in the business of making all things new and that extends to you personally and it extends to you now.
there's no future tense here in this verse, verse 17, but, but just present and completed reality. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is done. This is done. Of course, it may be hard for us to come to terms with that because, well, look, we all still struggle with sin for now. The old sinful nature is still there, but that's just our situation. Our situation for now still smacks of the old, the sinful. We're tangled up in it for now. But our standing has changed. Our status, our very identity of who we are in God's eyes, even now, is is changed because we are declared by God to be completely 100% new creations. We only yearn for the day when our situation is caught up with that status by the sure promise of God in Jesus Christ. So for any highs or lows you may or may not reach in this worldly present, they are nothing compared to the glory that awaits you and is already assigned to you, even now. That's got to change how you face each day and how you face each situation, knowing that you belong to God, who already counts you as his new and precious creation. But so too it also changes how you see other people. For one thing, this is equally true of everyone else who is in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, the text says, this is true. And so we must learn to see them as new creations as well. And so Paul's explaining exactly that in regard to how he and his co-workers go about their life and ministry. They consider all of Jesus' people, not according to their worldly status or lack of, nor by their record of sin or anything like that, but as new creations of Jesus Christ. Paul's always doing a couple of things in passages like this. You know, he's explaining his way of life and ministry in the gospel, sure. But as he does that, he's leading us in how we carry out our life and ministry to each other as well. So we need to take this on board for how we connect with other believers who are all new creations just like us. I mean, whether we can see it or not, their old is gone and their new is here. So there's a challenge for us. Can we let go of worldly measures of status or success? Can we take off our our worldly eyes and thinking? Can we learn to connect to people not by their record of sin or, or, or anything like that, but just see them and treat them as new creations of Jesus Christ? I reckon that might be hard for us to get used to once we start to really think about this and try to put this into practice, but this is the way we must learn to relate to all believers. For the love of Christ controls us, verse 14, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. New creations everywhere in Jesus' church. 
because we don't actually know where everyone is with Jesus. And and let's say, you know, the people we pass on the street or, or sit next to on the train and whatnot, we don't know. So this is a really good challenge for how we interact with strangers, I reckon, because we don't know if they might be Christ's new creations. But how would our daily interactions with people be different if, you know, we applied the benefit of that doubt by default? So, you know, the homeless lady that uh, I walk past and who asks me for change on my way to work. Or the guy on Facebook who's always pushing stuff that I don't like. What would my interactions with those people look like? If I remembered that, firstly, I am a new creation, and secondly, they are new creations. Because for all I know, they are. And of course, so too, we're challenged here in, in how we engage with those people who we do know are not yet in Christ. You know, those family and friends who have told us directly and bluntly that they're not in Christ, or, or otherwise, you know, people that openly reject the gospel. Well, I think our interactions have to change on that front too, because now that we can see the scale of uh, what we have in Christ and the reality of it uh, right here and now, we can only want to bring that same new creation identity to those people too. Those people who haven't yet come into this life-changing gospel, this identity-changing gospel. That's actually what Paul explains there in verse 19. Where he says, that is, you know, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us that message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul explains his MO as a gospel worker carrying the message of reconciliation, but surely as he does that, he's putting the same thing onto our hearts as well. Not just that we live true to this identity that we now have as, as new creations ourselves, reconciled to God as we are, but that we also convey that message to others. Because it's unavoidable, eventually. New creation me will want so much for others to experience this renewal that I've had that I'm going to want to appeal to them with the same gospel. Uh, you know, even mid-sentence sometimes, as Paul seems to do there in verse 20. Uh, because we should be, you know, so focused on this new creation truth that we're just always thinking in that space and therefore naturally just always calling others into this truth in what we say and do and then teaching and reminding one another to live in line with this truth verse 15 puts it squarely in our court that as new creations you and I should now live for Christ and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So if you are a Christian who trusts in Jesus Christ, then this, this passage should shape and inform how you now live. So here are the challenges in this text. First of all, will you learn to see yourself as God's new creation? 
whatever else you decide to to think or do or get up to in this life, whatever you have or haven't done in, in your past, <laughs> will you more fundamentally understand of yourself this, that God has claimed you in Jesus Christ and he has declared you as his and as new. And, you know, when the world tells you to be true to yourself and stuff like that, well, be true to the new you. And if the world does continue to disintegrate into cancel culture or whatever else comes next, then don't fear because the the world cannot cancel or change who God says you are in Jesus Christ. And secondly, will you learn also then to see other believers as new creations? Because this is true for all who trust in Jesus Christ. Regardless of whether you personally like or agree with them or this, that and the other... So will you put aside everything else and just see who they are and treat them as who they are to Christ? They are his precious new creation. And will you apply the benefit of any doubt to people you don't know and treat them as if they too are precious new creations of Christ? And will you keep reaching out to those people you know who don't have this yet. Will you be an ambassador for Christ, as verse 20 puts it, and let God continue to make his appeal through you too? Implore those who God puts in your path. They need to be reconciled to God too. And if that happens to be you this morning, that you aren't a Christian and this is all foreign to you, then let me give you this call from our text. And and on behalf of all those here who do believe and, and want you to come into this new creation reality in Jesus, verse 20, we urge you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Verse 21 gives you in short, sharp form what the heart of this gospel is all about. So hear what God puts on offer to you today. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The sin mentioned there, just so you know, is part of all of our identities. Not one of us sitting here, nor anyone else out there, isn't fallen, corrupted, sinful. That is the universal human identity. Except, of course, for Jesus, who was perfectly without sin, as the verse teaches. And here's the big identity switch that Christianity is all about. Jesus took all our sin upon himself. He became sin for us so that our sin might be nailed to the cross in the body of Jesus. And what has been nailed to the cross has become part 
of the old. Because what does it leave for us if all our sin was put onto Jesus and nailed to that cross? Then what is still left over for us? Only the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the identity switch of the Christian gospel and God is offering it to you right now. For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All you need do If you want to trade in the sinful old for this glorious new, all you need do is repent of your sin and trust in that work of Jesus who took your sin and had it nailed to that cross. And indeed, that's all you can do to be free of your sin. All of us need Jesus to make us new. And those of us who have trusted him just so may know from these scriptures that it is just so. Behold, the new has come. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you as always for this scripture. And we thank you for what it teaches to us, Lord. Thank you for taking our sin and making us new. We pray, Father, that you would help us to come to terms with that truth and live out our lives as your precious new creations. Help us to see ourselves in this way. Help us to see one another in this way. And help us to engage with others in this way, in your name and for your glory. May we live for you, and may your word continue to make all things new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.